Just a few, a few words before we do read from the scriptures. We don't, we don't make light of these things very often, but again, I think this is a good time to just let you know. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. So on these back tables, you can see they're blue Bibles. I want to encourage you, they are for you. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. There, Blake, Blake's got one. Um, secondly, I mean, we've got, it's swag, stuff we all get. This is literally swag, all right? Um, for those of you that are new with us or have been relatively new, you can grab a cup too. We'd love for you to just have that. It's, it's a great mug that holds cold and hot pretty good. So make sure to grab one of those. Um, we also have um, a journal. What we, what we practice is called CBR, Community Bible Reading. So we as a church read through the Bible together, and it's to encourage us to be reading similar passages and discuss when we get together the different things that God is speaking to us through his word. And finally, there is um, a book, and now it's um, right there. Nick, it's right by Nick. It's, it's a book you can grab, and now it's, what's the name of it? Uh, it's tender and lowly. I, 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 how did I, it's like, you ever had those situations where it's like on the tip of your tongue, you're like, great, now I'm talking about this, and I don't know, that's exactly what happened to me. It's a great book. It is for you. You can grab it. It'll, it'll be really helpful to you as you consider Christianity and consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, Again, that's all the, just make note of the swag table. You can get over there and grab it, stuff we all get, all right? Hey, we're finishing our series in the book of John, a long, long series in the book of John. We, we began at the beginning of the year in John chapter one, and we've plugged our way through it, and we've come to the last sermon in this series. Now, if you, were, if you uh, don't know anything about John, John has 21 chapters in it. And John 21 is a fascinating, fascinating chapter of scripture. Not only is it should, should it be read historically by us, but it should be read metaphorically. So the first 14 verses, if, if you look at your Bible, you see this story about the disciples fishing on a boat and Jesus coming to them. What this is, is a picture of the resurrected Jesus with his church. And so metaphorically, we look at that first section of John 21 as a metaphor for how does Jesus deal with his church. Now, to continue with this metaphor and thinking through this metaphor, it's also a story too, we come to the second part, which is verses 15 through 25. And now we see that Jesus is getting incredibly personal. He pulls Peter aside and he speaks to him, and this is what we're gonna be reading today. But I want you to see this. I want you to see the two themes of John chapter 21 in a metaphorical sense. How Jesus, the resurrected king, interacts with his church, verses 1 through 14. Then, how Jesus, the resurrected king, interacts with the individuals in the church. It's an epilogue. It's how we should live. And so, John chapter 21 is a fascinating chapter that teaches us how to live in light of the resurrected king, both as a church and as individuals. And so, this morning, we are gonna be focusing on our individual, personal relationship that we can have, that we do have with the resurrected king. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have it printed for you in the bulletin. And as always, we have a, a, um, a spot on the back side of, of, your, of that page so that you can take notes. So you're following along. The title of today's sermon is, I Believe in Jesus Christ. So the reading of God's word. John 21, 15 through 25. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, what is it that, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that, his, that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die. But if it is my will, he remain until, until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Um, if you spend enough time with me, which my wife does, if you spend enough time with me, you know that I am terrible with two things. Terrible. Lyrics of songs. I will butcher songs. And I don't know when I'm doing it. I just think the lyrics are what the lyrics are. And secondly, phrases. And again, I can't tell you when I'm butchering a phrase, but Kimberly will tell you, he butchers phrases all the time, and it's maddening for her. But I can attest to you that while I might butcher phrases all the time, as well as lyrics, I'm not going to butcher this phrase. I know this phrase that I'm going to share with you. It's the phrase, preaching to the choir. Preaching to the choir. I know exactly what that means. Well, this morning, I want, to I want you to know that this is a sermon meant for the choir. You're right, you're saying, there's not a choir here. Yeah, I know, you guys are the choir, the church. I'm preaching to the church. This is a sermon for the church. It is a sermon meant for those who claim to love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Well, the choir loves Jesus. And Jesus has an encounter with Peter, and he asks Peter, one of his most faithful disciples, that question, do you love me? So choir, do you love Jesus? Straight to the point, do you love Jesus? Look, choir, we can struggle to understand how to live in this life. We can easily fall back on old patterns we thought we left behind. Can you relate to that? But I'm not asking you if you struggle. I'm not asking if you fall back into old patterns. I'm asking simply, do you love Jesus? If you are part of the choir, well, Jesus has a word for us in John 21. And it is a very personal word for us. 
you probably picked up on the very personal nature of the conversation between Jesus and Peter. And I love it, because Peter, when, he, when, he's, when he's responding to Jesus' you know, proclamation or prophecy of his death, he goes, well, what about this guy? And what does Jesus immediately do? We ain't talking about that dude. We're talking about you. He is making it a very personal word. And it is a personal word, remember, metaphorically. It's a word for the choir. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. And there are simply three words that Jesus says to those who believe in him, to those who are members of the choir. Three simple words. Serve, follow, rest. Serve, follow, rest. Whatever you are, if you believe in Jesus, if you consider yourself to be someone who loves him, hear these words. Serve, follow, rest. Let's study these three words and see what it means for us who love Jesus. First, if you love Jesus, serve. Now, verse 15, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds, tend my sheep. Again, a third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter's grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds to him, feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Three times, Peter answered in the affirmative, yes, you know that I do. And three times, Jesus responds with some variation of service to sheep. Now, that sounds strange, but again, we're dealing in the metaphorical here. What are sheep? Sheep are metaphor for Jesus' church. Now, there's three different responses that Jesus gives to Peter. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And if you're wondering about the different phrasing, is Jesus putting something different in here? Really, there's just a difference between feeding and tending. But overall, by and large, there is no difference between these things. It is the same, same principle that Jesus is giving to Peter. Jesus is saying to him, Peter, if you love me, you will serve. And this isn't a new idea. Jesus told the disciples just a few days before, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, John 14, he says to them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The love of Jesus is always tied to obedience, which we work into it, service. So choir, if you love Jesus, like Peter, you are called to serve the church. It is simple. It is straightforward. Serve the church. Last week, we had a town hall meeting, and in that town hall meeting, I described the ministry teams that we need to, to fill in. And there's six of them in our, in our church. You have the children's ministry team, the nursery team, the AV team, the worship team, the connect team, the setup team. There's teams. There's opportunities for you to serve. If you love Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, sign up for one of those teams. It's not hard. This is a simple way to do it. Serve. Love the church. If you love me, you love my church. But you might say, like, well, that's it? No. Serving the church goes beyond that. And let me just tell you this. 
One, serving the church takes innovation. And one of the things that I've, I've loved seeing within the last week, what I've loved to see from people, I, I, John Mark, who's not here, and I can call him out right now, but he said to me, hey, Dan, this is on Monday, hey, Dan, can I have a bonfire for the church at my house on October 16th? Yeah, you can have it. It's innovative. It's serving the church. It's bringing people together. I love it. Then, then after church last weekend, Jordan Washington texted me. He says, you know what? We should have a potluck lunch. Like, go old school and serve the church old school downstairs once a quarter. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, let's do it. It's people being innovative to serve in the church. And I love to see the ways that which you guys are doing that. Serve the church through innovative ways. You don't need my permission. Can I just tell you that? And one of the things, I also saw this last week. I was, I was fired up this last week from seeing the way that you guys are loving one another. And I'm gonna pick on some names too. Um, and you guys might blush or whatever this. But I'm having lunch with Nick and Ashley neighbors. And they are getting ready to go to um, foster care court. And if I'm saying that right, something like that. It's a big deal. And they care for foster kids. And there's a lot on the line for these kids. And they're heart and soul in. And while we're meeting there, Ilya Sturitz texts Ashley. And just says, hey, I'm praying for you. Let me know how it goes. I loved it. It was the church serving one another. It was feeding and tending the lambs together. And I love to see the ways you guys are doing that. I, you know, Blake and Shane and John Mark got together to watch the Razorback game yesterday. It's serving the church. It's loving. It's enjoying one another. It's doing exactly what Jesus says to do. So church, choir, if you love Jesus, serve the church in very tangible ways, in practical ways, emotional ways, in ways in which you've been blessed. Serve the church. Jesus calls us to do that. If you love Jesus, serve. Secondly, Jesus then transitions. The second thing that Jesus says, if you love me, follow me. So the second word we have is follow. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. We see this as Jesus prophesying about Peter's death. But once he says that, what's the word that he says to Peter? Follow me. Now, again, this, I mentioned this before. Peter's like, well, what about this guy? And what does he do? He says, what is that to you? Follow me. Jesus tells Peter he's going to die. And he tells him exactly how he's going to die. But he concludes that with follow me. And of course, these words trouble Peter tremendously. And, and, and that's why he, com he questions about Jesus' beloved disciples. Maybe there's this, you know, like a jealousy that's going on. But Jesus is essentially saying, if you love me, you will follow my lead. Peter, I'm calling you to lay down your life as I laid down my life for you. Church, this is not going to be easy for you to hear. But to those who love Jesus, we are called to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. And this means that we are to lay down our lives for one another. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. It is a self-denial. Not my will, but your will be done. 
It is laying our lives down, saying, my life, no. Your life, yes. Just as Jesus did for this. Can't you hear it in the prophecy that Jesus makes of Peter? You're going to die. Your hands are going to be outstretched. You're going to be taken to a place that you don't want to go. It is literally the same type of thing that happened to Jesus. We, as followers of Jesus, follow him. And that means laying down our lives, sacrificing our lives for the good of others. I want you to know I've grown up in the church. I've been in the church my entire life. And I don't know when this happened, but I had this story introduced to my mind at a young age. I, I don't recall the particular story, but I can recall some of the details. Maybe it was from a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. But it went something like this. There's a country in North Africa called Sudan. And in the 1990s, Sudan was killing Christian missionaries at a pretty drastic rate. And one of the, one of the, the details of, of the ways that they were killing Christians, and again, I don't even know if this is true, but it's in my mind. One of the ways that they were killing Christians were taking missionaries and hanging them upside down and pinning them to a cr cross upside down. And in my mind, I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to follow Jesus if that's what's going to happen to you. He, he's going to call me to go to Sudan and to hang on a cross upside down. Ah. And I got to be honest, the turmoil in my little heart and mind was incredibly severe. <laughs> Maybe you've had that in your church experience. Maybe you've been like, I don't know, that, that is a pretty big cost to give my life. And, and, and maybe you're reluctant to, to take that call. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't call us to Sudan. He doesn't call all of us to hang on a cross upside down for his name. Oh, he might. He might. But he does call us to follow him right here, right where we are, right now. And that means we lay down our lives right here, right now, wherever we might be. Maybe you will get a call to be a missionary in Sudan. Praise be to God. But I know for certain that he has called you, if you love him, to follow him right here, right now. And that is not easy. This week I had a friend call me, and he, he lives in Nashville, and he, he lives in the shadows of Vanderbilt. His wife is a doctor at Vanderbilt. I mean, so like great resources. But one of the things on his heart and mind is like, how do I keep my kids from, from, from this, you know, such affluent lifestyle and this, this just, how do, I, like, how do I sacrifice for them so that they know that, yes, they have privileges and there's reason to be thankful for these privileges, but they don't become these conceited little jerks, just walk around. And he's wrestling with me and he's talking to me about this. And my, my first, to, first response to him was, you know, I struggle with these things too. I struggle with this reality. But, you know, self-sacrifice and laying down our lives and following Jesus right here as parents of young kids doesn't have to look like hanging upside down on a cross. Let me just put it this way. And so I wrote to him, I, I wrote to him 10 different ways that he can sacrifice for his kids. And I want to share those things with him. And I just was spitting it off. Here's what I said. Number one, be present with your family rather than being on the phone. Read a book to them before going to bed. Wrestle with them on the floor when you get home from work. Take them to church and don't sign up for sports that will impede with that. 
Make sure your marriage is the most important relationship in the house. Serve in the community and bring them along with you. Teach them how to make money, give money, spend money. Give thanks for the blessings you do have and make sure they know how genuinely thankful you are for those blessings. Do family devotions even if they roll their eyes. And if they do, figure out how to do those better and have more fun with them. So do this and they'll have the best example to follow. I wish I were better at these myself, but it's what can be a blessing to our kids. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 16? Says if, uh, uh, I'm butchering that. But he says this elsewhere. If you want to find your life, you got to lose it. If you want to give life to your kids, lose your life for their sake. Follow Jesus. He gives us his example, laying down our lives for others. This is Jesus' word for us. Follow. Follow. It's his word for Peter. It's his word for us. So Jesus gives us words. He gives us the words to serve. He gives us the word to follow. And finally, he gives us the word to rest. To rest. If you know anything about this particular story, you know that there's quite a large elephant on the beach. You know, elephant? I didn't see any elephant in this. Where's the elephant? Again, it's a metaphor and a figure of speech. For those of you that didn't pick up on that. A few days prior to this, Peter had wielded his sword when the servant of the high priest came to arrest Jesus, and he took that sword and he cut the servant's ear off. His name was Malchus. Peter did this because he told Jesus, I will follow you to death. And if these band of soldiers come to take you away, I'm wielding this sword. And he does. But Jesus, you might recall, says to him, Peter, you ain't going to do that. You're going to deny me three times. And so after, Peter was, or after Jesus was arrested, Peter is watching him from afar. And people who are around this, this whole trial are seeing him like, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. And what does Peter end up doing? I ain't, I ain't a follower of Jesus. And he does it three times. Peter is a traitor. He's a traitor to his own word, and he's a traitor to Jesus. You want to talk about an elephant on the beach. It's the elephant of feeling like, where are we at? Like, where are we at, Jesus, you and me? But look at what verse 15 says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Jesus said to Simon Peter. You're, at this, you're like, this is an inconsequential verse. What are you talking about? But I don't think it's inconsequential whatsoever. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to come babbling at his feet so that he might restore him. Jesus initiates the conversation and then restores him to his place amongst his disciples and his church. Jesus initiates with Peter, not Peter with Jesus. So many of us, I'm gonna tell you this, so many of us fall victim to the belief that our love for Jesus is what merits his love for us. So if we haven't prayed in a while, we're reluctant to pray because we're like, how is he going to listen to my prayers because I haven't been praying in a while. And we're, now we're in kind of a catch-22 and we can't figure it out. And like, oh, Jesus, you got to help me. You know, like that's about the only prayer that we can. It's because we think that our, our, our merits, what we do, is what gives Jesus our ear. So we, so we think this. We think it is our merits that earn his love. 
But Jesus' initiation of the conversation with Peter turns this idea, this thought, that we have to initiate with Jesus for him to initiate with us. It turns us on its head. Jesus' love, mind you, is not rooted in our love for him, but rather his love for us. And his love for us is not rooted in anything we've done, which is subjective. Well, it's objective. It's pretty bad objective. But it's, a, it's rooted in an objective reality of his own life, his perfect life, in his own death, a death for us, in his resurrection, and his ascension, his sacrifice for us. His love for us is completely independent of us. Peter doesn't deserve this sort of conversation. He gave up on Jesus. But Jesus moved towards him nevertheless. Our relationship with Jesus, just like it is with Peter, is never dependent on our acts towards Jesus, but rather his act and his movement towards us and us receiving that act. Here we have, in this one small little verse, a picture of his grace and his mercy to God's people. Jesus doesn't wait for us. He pursues us. If you know me, you know my favorite Bible verse is 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19 is we love, why? Because he first loved us. And I want you to see this. I mean, that's why I have it on that banner right there when you walk in, be loved and loved. That's the essence of it. That our love for him, our serving and following and sacrificing for him is always rooted in his grace and his mercy that comes to us first. We love, we serve, we follow because he first loved us. Each night before bed, I tell my son a story. I was a terrible storyteller when it first got started, but I started telling stories, and now he's hooked to my stories. I don't know if I'm a good storyteller, but I've learned a thing or two about storytelling. And I always make up names for different people. So in his story, he loves a Wild West story, and I tell him this I make this world up, this Wild West story, and there's three bad guys, Billy the Kid, Criminal Crowley, and Mischief Mike. I just make up these names. Well, I want to do a little storytelling for you today. It's totally made up. But I want to introduce you to a sweet old lady named Nervous Nancy. Now, Nervous Nancy is as sweet as they come. I mean, you walk in, she is just dripping with sugar coming off her lips. She serves in the church, and she has served in the church for a long time. And she is always there when, it's, when the doors are open, she's there. When the doors close, she's the last one to leave. Nervous Nancy, you know who she is. You've been around her. But in the quiet of her own heart, there is something that bothers Nancy. It makes her nervous. And it's the question, have I done enough? From the outside, looking into her, you're going, she's done plenty. She has served and follows Jesus. Nancy's as good as they come. But she's asking the question, have I done enough? Sadly, nervous Nancy got sick one day and passed away. And she was nervous the whole time she was in church. I wish I was the pastor for nervous Nancy. You want to know why? I'd tell her, her standing with God has nothing to do with being in church, serving in the church, and following after God. Her standing with God is solely dependent on Jesus' life, Jesus' death, 
Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' ascension. If I would have gotten a nervous Nancy before she passed away, my hope is she would go, are you kidding me? You mean I don't have to be at church every week? I mean, you want to be at church, but no, you don't have to be at church every week. And nervous Nancy would get rid of her nervousness. And what would replace it? What do you think? Rest. I want to take you back to the beach with Peter and Jesus. What do you think was the emotion or, or the, the feeling that, he, that Peter had when Jesus initiated that conversation? I think ultimately it was one of rest. And it was in the midst of his rea like realizing my standing here is not based off of what I do. It's what you've done. Okay. I can rest. And the rest of his life is one of resting in Jesus' finished work. And it literally ends in him dying, hanging upside down on a cross. I know there's a bunch of nervous Nancys in this room. I know there are. But because of what Jesus has done, and because Jesus has initiated with you, you can rest. He has done all that you need to be in his presence. And out of that rest, you can serve. Guess what? You never have to worry, am I serving enough? You never have to worry, am I sacrificing enough? You just serve and you sacrifice. And you don't worry about it. You just serve and follow Jesus knowing that it's already been done by Jesus, that your favor with him already is secure. That's because Jesus initiates with us. So church, we need to have a choir practice. We need to have a choir practice. And no, I'm not a songwriter, nor am I a music director. But we're gonna sing a song together. And the song has three words. It's three simple words that we are called to follow, to hear, to take to heart. And you know those words. Serve, follow, and rest. Let's take those words to heart and follow after Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we give thanks to you so much that you are intimately and personally connected to us, that you care about the hairs on our head that you care about our name, you care about our, our, our anxious thoughts, that you move towards us, even if there is an elephant in the room between you and us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that, that our relationship is not dependent on ourselves, but it's dependent upon our receiving what you have already done. Objectively, it's rooted in you. And this gives indeed us great rest. It gives us a beautiful picture that we are called to embrace. And so we ask in resting in light of your finished work that we would indeed be people who serve one another, who lay down our lives not only for each other but for those outside of this church. And I ask that you would strengthen us and give us wisdom and courage to do just that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.